Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yeah, thank you. Good morning to everyone, and hope they, those who celebrated it had a good one, and if not, had a good day off. I overdid it, Malcolm. Uh-oh. I ate about double what I was scheduled to eat. <laughs> what about the turkey? <laughs> yes, double of that as well. <laughs> By the way, um, <laughs> I, 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 we, we spoke Monday with somebody who's actually on that LL flight that I referenced last week. Mm-hmm. Your, your non-committal response last week now seems brilliant to those of us who follow the news. <laughs> so what can I say? Uh, it seems that uh, most people handled the situation well. And uh, everyone should continue to um, deal with emergencies in our community as best as possible. I guess that would be the best way to put it. And and I'm sure, after not reacting last week, you don't feel the need to say a word about it this week as well. I think all the reports this week speak for themselves. Right. That's true. And that's why we always have to follow the facts and, you know, not jump to any conclusions. 100% true. Um, well, here it is. And I always joke with you that it's amazing that this always happens right before Hanukkah. I... I I think there's something suspicious about that. That's too strong a word, I know, but it, it's still funny that uh, that we get this type of news always around the uh, holiday of uh, of miracles and the holiday that is most associated directly um, in in more recent times, so to speak, with our holy temple. A tiny stone half shekel weight that dates back to the first temple period was unearthed north of the city of David in Jerusalem. The weight was found during the sifting of archaeological soil originating from the foot of Robinson's Arch at the Western Wall. The weight, which has the word Becca written on it in ancient Hebrew script, has been known to be used as a half-shekel donation that each person from the age of 20 was required to bring as a census and for the maintenance of the Holy Temple as described in the 38th chapter of Exodus. Your reaction to this amazing discovery? I don't know how people can be complacent when they saw the reports, which were carried in, in a lot of the press, that that when they see the report, and what makes this unusual, it's not the first time a becca, which is the weight of uh, the half shekel, when people came to where Ola Regal and they had to do machsis a shekel, they have a shekel. They This is the weight that they use, but this one has the word becca written on it. So there's no doubt about what its purpose was, what its intent was, and that the the um, uh, they would bring a becca, this equivalent in silver, to pay the the taxes, and uh, they would have been measured out on scales on the very spot under the Temple Mount where the tiny stone weight was unearthed. What's different from the others, as I said, is that this one has the name and that the the location where it was found. Um, and uh, and I think that they said that it was written in mirror style, in other words, written backwards um, on the stone itself. But that it will lead to many other interesting uh, information. For first of all, now we know the exact weight, we know exactly what was involved. But more than that, to see the Bible come to life, see. Tanakh come to life. There are two references, one in, about the Rivka, where it uses the word Becca, and then in in uh, about the Machsis HaShekel in, in Shmos, in Exodus. And it, to me, it's 
it's just so reaffirming and confirming. If anybody who doesn't talk about this at their Shabbos table and talk to their kids and grandchildren about it is making a huge mistake. Hmm. Uh, it is uh, amazing that uh, an actual physical piece of our history that is that old is discovered and being and and as being held by somebody in 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 their hand. Just the whole thing is so remarkable. Um, and also, as you know, that there were revelations this week about the trench, which I've talked about many times from years ago, but that the discoveries that were uncovered uh, are now being made public uh, because this was done with the WAC's permission, because the WAC wanted to be able to lay these wires. And I went up actually and saw uh, the, the, um, uh, the pictures and the depictions of all of this at the time uh, from above the from the side of uh, the top of the shook where you can look down uh, on it and it 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 was uh, you know very disturbing to me that this was going on but then the archaeologists went in they controlled it they found bones and they found pottery from the first base of Mikdash not the second now they got stuff from the first and again every bone from a kosher animal. Unbelievable. The whole thing is incredible. Uh, what do you think of my um, my theory about the month of Kislev, that it seems every time we get to this part of the calendar, more discoveries come from that era? Well, the reason is because usually the digs take place over the summer, and they finish uh, with Rosh Hashanah or Sukkot. And so by the time they analyze it, and by the time they have a chance to catalog and review everything, uh, and then the information is released November, December, January. Well, coincidence or not, it gives this upcoming holiday a special feeling. You know what I mean? It Absolutely. Do, it does give it amazing boost when you're marching toward Hanukkah uh, when, when these things are discovered and announced. So I don't know if it's a coincidence, if it's done on purpose, not, or uh, no reason to be suspicious, but it, it does lend such an amazing atmosphere to the upcoming holiday. So this is one of the things, not only tonight at the Shabbos table, as you said, but as we go into the holiday of Hanukkah, mm-hmm. that's we mentioned more than once. Uh, to our family, and obviously the teachers out there, all teachers out there, and there's so many listening around this country and around the world, make sure to make this part of your Hanukkah curriculum. Let everyone know that the uh, the history of the Jewish people comes to life just from what's being found now in the Holy Land. Simple as that. Um, all right, we go to the elections in Israel. So Prime Minister Netanyahu, we, we thought when we left the air last week that it looked like uh, that on Sunday a date would be announced for elections, etc., but instead... Prime Minister Netanyahu takes the portfolio of defense minister, and somehow Naftali Bennett decides to stay in the government. If he would have left, of course, the unity coalition would have been gone. Uh, could, tell us about those two things, about him not designating someone else as defense as minister, as defense minister and Bennett's decision to stay in. So, uh, as you know, he holds several portfolios. Now, I think it's a, an economy move to save the salaries for the government, <laughs> but <laughs> unless he gets paid for each of them. <laughs> Uh, look, I, you know, Israeli politics is uh, a maze within a maze within a maze, and you can never just judge based upon what seems to be the case uh, on the surface. One doesn't know what leverages and what other uh, indications are. Everybody does polling all the time in Israel, and they you know, will look at that and say whether it pays for them to go to early elections. Will anything result from it? Will they build up the resentment of the people more because they will have wasted the money to come up with the same result? Um, there are people, and there's some polls that show people, you know, are tired and just say, get over it, get it over with having the election, because we're only talking about a difference of six months, you know, of having the election in February, March, or having it in in uh, November when it, the government anyway comes to an end in in nineteen in 2019. 
So it's it's not talking about uh, the usual situation where the average government in Israel lasts two and a half years. This one is already going into the third is in the third year and and will wants to fulfill the its mandate the four years uh, for Bennett. The and and BB has to look at the uh, totality of the situation about coming aft out of Gaza with all the repercussions, the, some of the negative criticisms, uh, feeling people feeling there's no conclusion, or that he, they jumped too quickly. Others saying, "Look, we saved the lives. We didn't uh, put our young men and in, in, uh, women in the IDF in jeopardy." The people in the Gaza Strip, uh, who live near the Gaza Strip, feel that they are put in jeopardy. That the, that there is no resolution. That Hamas can emerge and say that they, you know, withstood this uh, and, and were able to carry out their their attacks um, and still remain in power. Well, you just hit the nail on the head. He obviously felt he had to distance himself from the most recent Gaza activity. And so by assuming this, the, the part, problem was that Bennett wanted the uh, defense ministry, and I think it's the most safe, face-saving way. Had he appointed somebody else, right. that might have been a slap this way. When he keeps it himself, it's less of an issue, and it can always be given out later uh, to someone. As you know, he, he was criticized by Benny Gantz, a former chief of staff, and others. So I think he is... Um, Assuming the responsibility, he said he shared it with the with the head of the Mossad, with the IDF uh, chiefs. Um, but ultimately, it needs a decision maker. You need a, a defense minister, like you need a foreign minister, and I hope one day there will be one of those again. <laughs> um, to and it can't all be concentrated and being held for some future coalition. Now, an appointment might be more divisive than leaving it as it is for Bennett. Uh, I'm sure there were numerous considerations about um, uh, whether to stay in or not, but I think most of all was the public reaction, which was so highly critical, both in the media, but polls, everything showed that uh, people did not um, support the move uh, by and large. And I think it probably mostly amongst his supporters that they brought down a right-wing government. Ah, so the... I get it. In other words, the the last thing Bennett needed was the country thinking he was responsible for the early elections and bringing down a right wing government, which right. he you know touts all the time. And um, so, so I think that that and and I think if the polls would have shown that some vast difference would take place, some realignment, I think others would have been pushing. But even the opposition didn't push for elections. You know, they they, they did the pro forma calls, but you didn't really see. Uh, big reaction. The big reaction were the demonstrations of the people from the south, and everybody has to feel for them and, and understand the, their plight right now. Uh, and you know, their children growing up, their whole lives living in shelters or 15 seconds from a shelter. It's it's really um, it's it's very difficult, and yet they are so resilient, and they stay, and they grow, and they develop. It's incredible. Yeah, that's for sure. Um... All right, so we have a situation. I'm just the one piece I'm not a hundred percent with is then why not um, why not give in to Bennett and let him be the defense minister in this scenario? Like, why would not that have been? Why can't Netanyahu have just said, you know, we saved the coalition by me appointing you know him to be defense minister? I just that's the one part I don't get. Or is it? Well, the relationship isn't great. Right. Number one, number two, he doesn't want to give a potential opponent a platform. Mm. To become the you know the, the uh, defense candidate in a future election, as opposed to him, the security candidate, and the the um, um, and I think that it would have roused opposition from other parties 
that would have been jealous or would have wanted, would have wanted to have somebody else in that seat or yeah. don't like Bennett and his party. So I, it's an easier way out. It's postponing of a problem, which is often what happens in Israel. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, uh, yesterday last week, you alluded to it. Um, and again, it's, it's a shame that it has to be at the expense of, you know, men, women and children in the South. But it's obvious that the prime minister feels there has to be a uh, a consideration about the relationship Israel has with certain countries in the Middle East when making a decision about how to react to, to Hamas in Gaza or to all the terrorist groups in Gaza. Uh, that's number one. And number two, it's interesting that he has to, you know, put some distance, put some time uh, between this episode and when everyone goes to elections because he doesn't want anybody running on this platform. And, you know, and the proof's in the pudding. Look at Gidon Saar. He basically spent the week talking about this, right? Talking about the lack of reaction, uh, a proper reaction by Netanyahu in terms of Gaza. Yeah, well, he found something to get him back into the into the limelight. And, of course, the Israeli press always loves the opportunity. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he he resigned voluntarily. I mean, he, he stepped down. He was often the most popular person within the Likud uh, party in terms of polls and um, things like that. But, but um, you know, this was an ideal opportunity for him, and I, it's without doubt that they would take advantage of it um, to um, assert, again, to get back in the, in the media and to assert his own uh, positions. You know, it's interesting, and God forbid that this should happen, but if, you know, if the leaders of the, of the, uh, of the enemy... In Gaza, you know, were aware and and fully understood the political situation in Israel. I mean, they they would use this opportunity, God forbid, to start up again, because uh, if if Netanyahu is right that he has to uh, put you know put some distance between what's happening in the south and the next election, because if in fact uh, the the most potent um, the most potent uh, argument against Netanyahu, the most potent campaign against him is going to be Gaza, then you know the. Ironically, you know, usually the enemy starts up, and that's how he wins on safety and security. Ironically, it could work the exact opposite way this time. That's what uh, I was alluding to. But you know, for Israel, the, the key things is he wants they need to restore calm. Right. They have the relationship with Egypt, which was pressing very hard for an agreement. You want to limit Iranian influence and not give them more of an opportunity to build up. And I'm not saying that this was the right way to do that, but that's right. the a key consideration. That uh, they have, and to stop the buildup uh, of weapons there, and of course to protect their citizens. The the other consideration is that the prime minister clearly was alluding to the situation in the north, and that their fear was that an extensive operation would occasion a an attack uh, from the north, and Israel would then have to be facing a two fronted. Uh, assault, and that—that that is, uh, he says that that is the major consideration. They keep alluding to the fact that uh, they're expecting at some point in the near future to have to to um, you know respond to it. The, the problem is that the PA, that the PA, the Hamas in particular, can can boast that this was a victory for them that they carried out that the activities which they admit were organized by them. They're not spontaneous uh, demonstrations. They're meant to deflect attention. Mm-hmm. They got the $15 million in cash to pay off people, which went generally for $100 to, uh, to some of the, each of the families, and they paid off the salaries of, uh, that, of Hamas officials that were long owed. Um, and the, um, you know, the, and they walk away and say they don't care what suffering the Palestinian people go through in Gaza. And the whole media is just 
so distorted and misrepresented misrepresentative when they talk about still an occupation. I mean, there is no occupation, and yet they continue, no matter how many times you point it out or whatever, they still continue to do these outrageous reporting about what, what was going on the ground. And I heard reports on NPR and elsewhere where they talked about the number of wounded without ever mentioning, and the Israeli Air Force response, never mentioning once 500 or 460 missiles hitting Israel. <laughs> Par for the course. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Black Friday here at JMNAM. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, you know the big topic that everyone insisted this week I discuss with you, and that, of course, is Airbnb. Uh, what do you think of their announcement, and do you think that the big reaction, especially on social media, is going to make a dent in their com- company? So Airbnb, uh, which everybody knows rents apartments, has listings. They had a couple hundred or maybe a hundred in the West Bank settlements in the communities, uh, as they do in every other place, disputed or not, around the world. And this was clearly a result of a sustained campaign that went on for some time to to uh, yield this result. Uh, I believe it's a violation of American law, and we have uh, efforts by the Lawfare Project and uh, others to um, pursue legal remedies against the company and to, to hold them to account. You know, last week, the 26th state, Kentucky, signed an executive order, uh, wow. BDS leg- uh, legislative uh, legislation, and um, now 20, more than half the states have anti-BDS legislation to boycott, and this, we think, falls well within that uh, purview. But the leaders of Airbnb, and we urge people to contact them, and if you, especially if you use it, contact the people you, you've ever dealt with, to say that you can no longer uh, use it if they if they pull their listings. They did not pull their listings out of Israel itself, and they said they won't do it out of West Jerusalem or the Golan, just the West Bank, which tells you that this is not a consistent policy. This is part, though, of why we keep pressing how dangerous the BDS movement is, how pervasive it has become in terms of uh, invading into major corporations or others who feel the pressure, and now they got to feel the counter-pressure. You see that the efforts by Zionists and others um, to uh, on the Women's March to highlight what the um, the leaders, and Linda Sassur in particular, but many others of the women, those who associate with Farrakhan, etc., that the leader, the founder, Teresa Shook, uh, came out, and uh, called for the leaders to step down for allowing anti-Semitism, and uh, and there were um, also anti other uh, hateful rhetoric and racism, et cetera. Um, and the there were others who then joined some movie actresses, I think, or at least public personalities. And Linda Sassori issued an apology the day before yesterday. Uh, others haven't. They still don't distance themselves from the Farrakhan's and others, these people, and I would not take the apology too seriously. I do take seriously the fact that we can have an impact, that even in the movement and, and this effort to build up, uh, quote, progressive Zionist women getting involved, which I think really has had a profound impact uh, in this. In the, I think it's only Zionists only exists uh, for less than a year, but the consistent 
pressure and effort and exposing them, showing what they uh, really are, how extremist they are, and that they they took over a movement that was not intended at all to be to be that we saw the Canadian Federation of Students endorse the BDS resolution at its uh, annual general meeting uh, this week, this past week, and uh, you know they called for a boycott of uh, of Israel and many. Have, you know, individuals and Jewish students organizations protested it, but we're seeing the pervasive nature of this. And while people say, you know, who cares about it? And people have said it to me, why is BDS important? You know, it doesn't affect Israel economically, which is by and large true. Uh, it, it does affect Palestinians even more um, in, in terms of the economic impact, purely economic impact. But you, you, you see these things that I cite just from the last couple of days, and the uh, effort to this is the you know the NGOs non governmental organizations and the funders the Rockefeller Brothers Fund was said and European governments were said this past week to be responsible for uh, financing the campaign in uh, in parts of the world and the efforts against Israel Human Rights Watch and Jewish Voice for Peace others who all come together. Uh, with some Israeli groups uh, and the Palestinian Authority to make this movement possible. And the Airbnb, if it's allowed to stand, will then invite other companies to do the same thing. Therefore, it's very important, even if you never use Airbnb, that the message has to be very clear. You decide to boycott Israel, you will suffer the consequences, whether it will be the legal actions, most of all the... People stop using their services. Get back to source sore in a minute, but first on Airbnb. I mean, you you have to assume that that they felt this was a good business decision, right? I mean, you'd have to assume that that, that when this decision was made, it was not it was not speci- it was not only because of a response uh, to a protest by Israel's enemies. Am I right about that? that I mean, that they had to have decided that this was a smart way to go. Although- um. Maybe they didn't understand how dumb it was to go that way. Maybe it was, you know, a decision that somebody within who who was uh, and they and they had pressure. We don't realize how much pressure you right. know, those who visit Israel, others tell me that they get. And once it becomes public, they're going. They're so organized, and they can, uh, you know, immediately mobilize thousands of, of um, emails and communications uh, by these haters and, and extremists uh, against Israel. Uh, so maybe Airbnb got bombarded and, and just said, "Well, if this is what public opinion, and we're doing a very limited action," uh, uh, and adopted it. And, I don't know that everybody had approved it all the way up to Brian Chesky or the others who, who lead the organization, the company. Right. Uh, so we can't assume it until we really know and that they let's see what their reaction will be to this, whether they uh, come out. Now they're saying, well, we're going to consider Western Sahara. No, that's not the answer. The answer is drop <laughs> the West Bank, the thing, the, the restrictions on Judea and Samaria. And the, there's an attitude, at least I'm seeing this on social media. There's an attitude among among the uh, pro-Israel crowd that that our you know our boycott or our you know emails probably won't make a difference anyway because the drop in the bucket, you know, the business they get from our community is just a drop in the bucket compared to their international following. But I don't know if that's the right attitude. You know, usually wrong attitude. Absolutely right, Nahum. That's exactly the defeatist attitude. You don't know. I, I, I just cited examples. We see. When I would learn this, so you see it in many cases where apologies have to be issued, where all of a sudden they find themselves. Uh, we, we are urging government 
states uh, and uh, governors in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, everywhere across the country who have uh, BDS legislation to say that if, in view of the a decision that state officials on travel cannot use Airbnb until this matter is resolved. And most of all, when, when we see an ally coming under this kind of an attack, and it's clearly discriminatory, and they're not punishing China or all the violators of human rights when they announce they're not going to do anything in any of the other countries, any country that has uh, anybody complaining about it. And, and yet to come after Israel on this, it's, it, it, it cannot be allowed to stand and not be protested, and that at least the price, even if they don't rescind it, but the price has to be high for them. All right, no question about it. Um, all right, so we encourage everybody to, you know, to write the letters and do things respectfully, etc. but to keep the pressure on Airbnb, both if you rent a place, and meaning if you are a renter or a rentee, in either uh, a case, uh, it can be very effective. And there are other companies they can go to, HomeAway, others. Right. There are options out there, which I wasn't even aware of, but there are other options out there. Right. Also, um, so on the Linda Sassour thing, first of all, I mean, you know, you saw the recent reports. It's, it's hard to keep track of her apologies at this point, you know, which <laughs> way they're going, if they're sincere or not, or what they, you know, how they're directed, et cetera. But the one thing I'm wondering, because you mentioned Teresa Shook, if in fact she's insisting that the movement's organizers step down because they've allowed this anti-Semitism, I mean, wouldn't you suspect that the first person she would dismiss or recommend dismissal would be Linda Sarsour, that she wouldn't be allowed to speak at any of these gatherings anymore? Or is that expecting too much from the leader of this movement? Well, well she's, not the, she's, she's not the leader now. I mean, the movement, she's, oh, she's a founder, right. taken over by extremists. Right, good point. And uh, that was uh, comments made by some of the other original members, and uh, I've met with some of them uh, who to, to um, help us and help the effort to, to keep it from becoming an anti-Israel uh, manifestation. As you know, they barred women carrying uh, Israeli flags, and uh, they sued, and they went after them, and that's how Zionists emerged. And uh, are, they have backtracked on it, And but, but they saw that once the announcement was made that they created this body to encourage participation, hundreds of women across the country, uh, so-called progressive uh, Zionists came out of the woodwork and were just waiting for something to be said. And that's the problem. That's exactly the same thing we talked about before, is that we yield the turf to, to the enemies. They they are dedicated, committed. They don't care, you know, if they get one or 10 or 20 they, they will, um, followers. They will build on it and build on it until they can take over. They work insidiously from inside and take over organizations. They use the, uh, the, the, the quote, human rights uh, cover and use organizations, uh, human rights organizations, to uh, as they do the sectionality, meaning making common cause with them or people protesting racial discrimination or other other causes, um, and and that is exactly the point that we have to not accept and not say that well it's a small cancer and we'll just let it sit there and and get worse. You see that where we stand up, then it, it people back down where good people will be heard, and many others will join us. Yeah. I know that Christian groups and others have also uh, joined in this uh, uh, action against the Airbnb. Mm. All right, let's hope it's effective and uh, that they reconsider and understand what kind of mistake they made. All right, um, the U.S. Justice Department rejected an official request from Prime Minister Netanyahu to allow Jonathan Pollard to serve as the remainder of his parole time in Israel. Uh, we, we saw what happened with the embassy move. We've seen the attitude of the president in general. Is is I mean I would assume that the president of the United States has a role in this decision, 
um, he could, if he wanted to, step in and insist that, in fact, Pollard go to Israel, correct? He can um, do a lot of things uh, now on, on the Pollard case, and uh, the thought that this uh, guy gets out of jail, and he's still essentially imprisoned, uh, even though he's free to walk around and, and engage in a lot of stuff, but he, they still put tremendous restrictions, and most of all, not allowing him at this point to say that he has too much information. I mean, it just doesn't pass the test of credulity that after all these years, he has secret information or information that he could divulge, even though he has said that he won't and that he wants to just go and live a quiet life and not be, uh, as he has been doing here, as you've seen it. So I think the decision is really terrible, and I hope maybe the president will reconsider it as at the end of the year there are often pardons or other actions taken right. that uh, by the president. Maybe they will they will do something in regard to Jonathan Pollard. As we've seen in the past, uh, sometimes relationships with countries. Uh, I'm not saying this. Is, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just I'm just I'm just pointing out the reality. Relationships with countries seem to surpass um the uh the crimes or the uh, uh the episodes that 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 leaders of those countries may have been involved with my point being of course on the Khashoggi thing i think the us administration has now made it abundantly clear that no matter what happened there and who's responsible america's not risking its relationship with the crown prince of saudi arabia correct that's been made pretty clear simple the as president that. Has, has made it clear I, I and i'm wondering if now the press is going to sort of you know um let up a little bit on this issue or not um, because no. I, I, I think it's logical, frankly, that, you know, as bad as something is, and believe me, who's, who, who out here would endorse, you know, someone calling for murder. Uh, but you know, there's, there is a big picture out there, sort of what you told us last week that, uh, you know, when it comes to, again, God forbid our brothers and sisters in the South should be the, the sacrificial lambs, but sometimes there is a bigger picture where the prime minister is trying to accomplish something and, you know, doesn't always think that just because everyone wants, you know, carpet bombing immediately, it should be done immediately. So. There are sometimes bigger considerations, I guess, we're learning from this situation with Khashoggi as well. Uh, also, why has the president delayed the peace plan at this point? Uh, now, now I, is it February or March? I think he said March, right, for the uh, timetable on the peace plan in the Middle East? I don't think there is one. I think there's been a lot of speculation about it, and it would not surprise me if it came out before the end of the year or if it came, didn't come out at all, because the you know it's dependent on the situation on the ground also. And when you don't have a Palestinian partner, and when they continue to stonewall the issue, Abbas refuses to sit and talk, um, you don't need a U.S. plan if, if uh, they were really able to negotiate directly and get issues done. The U.S. plays a facilitating role. They're not trying to impose uh, a solution. And I think that they've, um, that uh, Jason, Jared, all of them have worked very hard. I think the fact that they've been able to keep it under wraps all this time and no leaks is, uh, is amazing, almost miraculous. Yeah, um, but the timing, I think, has to be contingent on developments on the ground. One, uh, you, you don't introduce a peace plan while there's a, a hot conflict going on. Uh, two, with elections coming up in Israel, you don't do it because no government of Israel will, will be able to respond as they might in normal times because of the political pressures of those who oppose it or support it and will say it's a sign of weakness. They will talk about U.S. imposition, and one of the strongest things that Netanyahu is going for him is his relationship with the president. Right. So he wouldn't want to do anything that jeopardizes that or makes it look like it's uh, it's not the relationship that has been publicly seen and the president certainly demonstrated with a lot of his uh, his actions. So I think, you know, it's it 
it's not a simple question of flipping a switch and saying we're going to expose the, the, the thing. You have to do it at the right time when it will have maximal impact and doesn't become just a political football for, uh, you know, there will be immense amount of opposition no matter what the deal says or doesn't say. There will be opposition, and it can't be. It is not a final deal. This is a proposal. It's a framework, uh, I think, uh, because ultimately, if the parties don't negotiate the deal, it will never work. All right, as I mentioned to you, we have a time constraint here. We have a special guest coming up. Um, so another minute or two. And I, and let me let me just toss these in here. Uh, you saw this item that the Mossad um, uh, actually um, um, stopped a potential Hezbollah attack in Buenos Aires this week. In Buenos Aires, as they did in Europe, and they there was a it was supposed to be a mass casualty terror attack, and the um, there there were Australians of Turkish. Uh, nationality, I think, or background, and they've been under surveillance for for um, many months, and they were tied to ISIS. I remember one of the statements. Uh, and if we uh, look around the world, you see that um, the EU now all of a sudden is open to sanctions against Iran because of the foiled attacks in France and Denmark, in which Israel played a role as well in warning uh, uh, about it, and, uh, and, and many other, uh, we can go through the, the lists, of, but also the, uh, ex, the exposure of the laundering uh, mechanism in Germany, where Hezbollah found, uh, as they called it, a safe home, and the French prosecutors just put 15 members of the uh, on trial last week in Paris, uh, according to various um, reports from Germany, and, the, and the, they were tied to the laundering of uh, Colombian narco uh, narcotics money and, and uh, the narco network uh, with people of Lebanese descent. So, and this is just one of many, right. uh, as well as the unfortunate continuation of uh, anti-Semitic manifestations that we see all too regularly every day uh, that are, are uh, of concern. Medic, um, and I think that also the BDS and others are, have received certainly report from international sources I mentioned earlier, and the um, the the these are there are relationships with it. I think we should mention that the U.S. has really taken some strong stands now this week on additional sanctions uh, on Iran and the uh, about companies that are doing business there and. Um, and Brian Hook, the special representative, uh, came out very strongly and, uh, uh, and warned any bank that participates, whether in the EU initiative to bypass the restrictions on, on trade and banking, would face uh, additional um, uh, sanctions. You know, Europe wanted to do this SPV, the special purpose vehicle. It's going to fail. It's not going to work. You can't do. You, you can't do without being able to be have business in the United States. And the um, uh, and the head of the National Security Council said that, that Iran of Iran has said they're going to return to the pre-JCPOA status. Let's see them return to it. The answer is that Iran is suffering. They they admit in many instances internally that they have all of these problems. Blame the United States, but it's of course a much more complicated thing. It's not just them, but the the they're not in compliance. Trade with Europe went up 25%, I think, this past year. Let's see. I believe it will not be the case next year. And hopefully the uh, the sanctions will kick in and we will continue to press those who try to bypass them. And I think the administration, the Treasury Department, uh, uh, state, others are doing a, a good job in trying to, uh, to counter it. 
And just to note that the U.N. again passed the nine resolutions against Israel, but the most ludicrous, and if they want people to understand, 151 to 2, they talked about the op- that Israel should give up the occupation of the Golan. At a time when Iran, the militias, the IGC, all of them are pressing Hezbollah on Israel's northern border, even the idea is so ludicrous and so far-fetched. If you want to understand how incredible this is, that's a good example. It certainly is. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update, Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the A.M.